Nehemiah wept. But why? Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. Of, of all the people in Artaxerxes' kingdom, he chose Nehemiah as the one guy that he trusted enough to select his wine and taste it to make sure it wasn't poisoned, make sure it was safe for him to drink. Nehemiah, he wasn't even a Persian. Nehemiah was an Israelite. But the king trusted Nehemiah with his life. And, okay, yeah, other than possibly getting poisoned, he actually had a really great job. Nehemiah had the trust of the most powerful king in the world at that time. So why was he weeping? Nehemiah got a report that the remnant of his people back in Jerusalem, they were in trouble. The, the Persian Empire was, was starting to allow some of the exiled Israelites to go back to their kingdom to repopulate Jerusalem. But the city was still in shambles. The, the walls are broken down. The, the gates are burnt down with fire. And hungry enemy nations are eyeing up the city, thinking they want to go take over again. Looks like the, the city of the Lord, Jerusalem, just lying there in disgrace. The king of Persia notices his cupbearer's sad expression. He says to him, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So Nehemiah explained his situation, the plight of his people and his city. The king listened. The king answered. He let Nehemiah go to Jerusalem to lead the restoration of the city, to rebuild the walls and shore up the defenses. Nehemiah went from weeping to rejoicing. God answered his prayers. He, he led the restoration. He did rebuild the walls. He foiled the opposition who were trying to stop the city from being rebuilt. Nehemiah brought glory back to Jerusalem. Finally, 150 years after Babylon came in and destroyed it. But even though the city was rebuilt, the restoration, the work, wasn't finished yet. The, the most important part of the restoration still had to take place. The restoration of the people's souls. God's chosen people needed to rediscover, to rekindle their covenant with God. The covenant that they were his people, he was their God. They needed to get back in touch with what it meant to be one of God's people. And the center, the focus for this spiritual restoration, it, it had to be the word of God. And here in Nehemiah, the, the word they're focusing on is the book of the law of Moses. And for us, this, this is the first five books of the Bible we have today. It's also called the Pentateuch or the Torah. The, these first five books written by Moses, they really summarize, I mean, the beginning of the world, but also the beginning of God's chosen people. And it outlines all the covenants and promises God made with them. 
And here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see the people have four different interactions with God's word. We, we see them revere the word, understand the word, weep at the word, and rejoice at the word. Revere, understand, weep, rejoice. You see all these things happening here as Ezra the priest brings out that book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded for Israel. And, and you're clearly going to see that the people, they revere the word of God. They wanted to hear it. Did you notice that? The people, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. The, the people, not the priests, actually kicked off the restoration, the, the spiritual restoration. They wanted to hear the word. This wasn't Nehemiah and Ezra forcing it down on the people. They wanted it. And they gathered. They packed into this, this square in the city. Men, women, even children were there to stand and listen and learn. And, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They weren't just there because they had to be going through the motions. They, they were clinging to every word Ezra spoke. They didn't want to miss a thing. They revered the word so much. And, and you probably caught, they were standing there for a long time. Ezra was reading the book of the law aloud from daybreak till noon. I mean, this is probably like five or six hours of just standing there and listening, probably having the hot sun beat down on you packed in. They did it. They wanted to be there. They wanted to listen. And, and it's impressive. There were children doing this too. That, that is impressive. So, you want to try this today? We could all just stand up for the rest of the service. I mean, I know it's probably hard to stay awake in these chairs for 20 minutes. If you stood up, at least you could stay awake. Not, not really getting a lot of thumbs up on that idea. So I guess that's okay. You can, you can keep sitting. I won't ever make you stand for the whole service. And I promise I won't go on for five hours. But you do see, wow, man, those Israelites had reverence for the word to, to do that all day. They really wanted to hear the word. And it's okay if, if you're not going to show reverence to the word in the exact same way the Israelites did back then. You still revere the word too. You chose to be here. No one forced you to step into church today. So why'd you show up? I, I think it's because you, you want to hear the word. You want to be comforted and led by the good news God gives you in his word. You want to learn more about how you can, how you can live your life to give God glory, to walk in, in his commands, to, to find hope for the life to come. You revere the word simply by being here today. And, and don't forget that. And okay, maybe you're not going to show all the same types of reverence that the Israelites did in 430 BC, right? The, the lifting up of their arms, shouting out, amen, amen. Although in the South here, that does happen. And maybe you're not going to bow down with your face to the ground. That's okay. The, the cultural context for our our coming to worship and things have, have changed. 
But the attitude, that, that stays the same. We still revere the word. We make it the focal point of our worship. And maybe that reverence just shows itself in, a, in some different ways. Like, you know, we, that thing we do when we read the gospel, we all stand. This is exactly where we're getting that from. Or we, we bow our heads and we pray. We, we, do, we sing joyful songs. It's showing reverence. Listening to the word, revering the word, it's great. Also helps, though, if you actually understand the word, right? And you see Ezra and the teachers of the law doing this for the people here. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Maybe you've realized that sometimes God's word can be a little confusing. Uh, You kind of have two different things going on. You have very basic elementary truths in the Bible. You also have very deep truths that maybe require some explaining. Like a, a little child can summarize the whole message of the Bible in one simple song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There it is, you got it. However, it also takes a, a lifetime of studying God's word to, to fully come to grips with, with everything God tells you about himself, yourself, how you ought to live your life, like the, the implications of sin and salvation. There's a lot in there. So keep coming to revere God's word here at worship. And then hopefully at, at worship, hopefully if I'm doing my job, you can leave knowing a little bit more than you did before, having the word explained clearly. You can read and understand God's word without a pastor explaining it to you. I definitely recommend just reading the word on your own. But maybe it does also help to come and have the content of the Bible packaged in a way you can easily digest. Like This is why sermons are a thing. It, it helps to have someone here to to apply it directly to your life or illustrate it in a way that carries the meaning to you. I mean, you you saw Ezra doing exactly this. Ezra was basically preaching a sermon here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Read the word, then explain the word. And Jesus, in our our gospel reading today, he was doing the same thing to the people of Nazareth. he, He read the prophecies from Isaiah, prophecies about the Messiah, and he gave some commentary fulfilled. This is talking about me. Here I am. And it's okay to admit that sometimes God's word is hard to understand. You probably know more than you think you do. But in the end, this is why we have pastors and and sermons and Bible studies. You can take advantage of those learning opportunities. The next interaction the people had with God's word pretty intense. We see they weep at the word. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why were they weeping? The people of Israel had rediscovered God's word and, and refocused their lives on it. But as the word was read, 
the, the words of the Torah were explained to them. They also pretty clearly got the message, yikes, we have failed to obey and walk in step with God's word. In those first five books, the books of Moses, you know they, they heard the Ten Commandments, God's will for their lives. They, they had the requirements laid out for them that God gave to his people. Things like this from the book of Deuteronomy. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And then they also had the law pretty specifically point out their failures, their shortcomings, their reasons to weep that they had broken God's covenant and the reasons why they were thrown out of Jerusalem in the first place. Words like this, also from Deuteronomy, these people, God says, will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshiped other gods, bowed down to them, gods they did not know, gods he had not given them. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. Yikes. God's law testified against the people. They were proven guilty. God's law unveiled their sin and their their failure to obey, their breaking, abandoning of God's covenant with them. They wept in sorrow. And by now, maybe you've come to realize God's word challenges you. It calls calls on you to, to make changes in your life, changes that your sinful nature doesn't want you to make. Points out sin in you and in people you love, and, and you might just want to pretend, I didn't hear that. It, it sets out those requirements and standards that you can't meet, and it unveils shortcomings and failures you didn't even realize you had. Nehemiah wept at the ruin and danger Jerusalem was in. We weep at the ruin that sin makes of our lives, the dangerous results of sin, death, and separation from God, the people wept when they realized how awfully they had abandoned God's covenant, that he would be their God, they would be his people. They just walked out on it, wanted nothing to do with it. God's law unveils in us those shortcomings and failures to obey. It points out shameful things about us and our world that that we wish we didn't have to hear and we despair. If if you want a reason to weep, read God's law. But then dry your tears. Stop grieving. Because the main point of God's word is not to make you weep. It's not the main point. The main point of God's word 
is to make you rejoice. If, you, if you're looking for a reason to rejoice, read God's gospel, his good news. It's the perfect answer to God's law. He wrote it that way, so it would be. And you know what? The people, when Ezra read God's word to them, they didn't just hear bad news. They heard some really good news too, like this from the book of Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The people were sorry for breaking their covenant with God. And at that point, they did not need to hear any more law. They needed to hear the gospel, the good news. They needed to hear, you are forgiven. They needed a reason to rejoice. This is why Nehemiah so quickly says to them as they're weeping, Hey guys, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This, this day of restoration, it was not a day for weeping. It was a day for rejoicing, a day to celebrate the Lord had led his people back to Jerusalem. He led Nehemiah to rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. He led Ezra, the priest, to unveil God's word to them once again. He led the people from weeping at his law to rejoicing at his gospel. This was worth celebrating. And, and you see the people... This is why they're bringing out those choice fatty cuts of meat and the sweet juices and wines. And, and they made sure that they shared it with everyone because they didn't want anyone to miss out on this celebration. It was so good. The joy the people had, that the Lord loved them, that he was patient with them and forgave them. This was their strength. This was their strong place they couldn't be moved out of. Stronger than the, even the walls that had just been rebuilt around Jerusalem. The Lord brought them from weeping to rejoicing. God's word brings good news to your sin-weary heart. God's word, it shows your sin, but it also shows your Savior from sin. And your reason to rejoice, I think, it's way better than the reason to rejoice that the, the Israelites had in Nehemiah and Ezra. The good news you have, it's even better than just rebuilt walls and a return from exile. The good news you have, it's the most important proof of God's love for you. You have Jesus. You have the one who pointed to all the good news in the Old Testament and said, Fulfilled. This is talking about me. I am your joy. I'm your reason to celebrate. All is fulfilled. All is complete in Christ. We follow him to his cross. There, we weep as we see our sins laid on his shoulders. Then we go to his tomb, wipe away our tears, and rejoice. Because he is risen. He wins, and we win too. The joy of the Lord, Jesus, 
is your strength, your stronghold on top of a mountain. Sin can't budge you out of there. You're safe. Jesus brings you from weeping to rejoicing. Amen.